Hello and welcome to episode 184 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Stopping Mad Assassin Redeems Troubled Selena. Or Siren's Maternal Aspirations Reveal Tender Side. Or Sickening Manipulations Aside, Reunification Tragically Stops. Do... Oh, right, me. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster. And with me, as always, is Trevor, a.k.a. Rudiger Q. Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Is it time for news now? It is, except there is no news. Oh, well, one bit of news. I apologize in advance if you hear any coughing or sneezing. I am getting over a cold, but I'll try to keep it off mic. Exciting news. That is exciting news. What is your comic of the week? My comic of the week is Naomi. I liked it. <laughs> that is it. Moving on. Moving on. No, I... What really made me pick this comic of the week is how real the characters were. I was actually surprised. Unfortunately, with comics, it's kind of expected that a lot of the parent secondary characters are two-dimensional. And I was fully expecting it and not really judging it in advance of this, but I didn't realize what a trope it was or how common it was until I saw it completely upended here. So here, Naomi is dealing with the fallout of finding out that somebody knows something about her adoption and she's trying to track down more information and really wring it out of the guy because it's not fair that she has one shred of evidence of her past and a little deeper understanding of who she is. And she can't get to it because some guy's hang-up is preventing him from opening his hatch and telling her what's going on. I'd be upset too. She's sitting at the dinner table or breakfast table or whatever table, meal table, with her parents, her adopted parents, who are having a conversation, plain Jane as you please. And it doesn't really stand out until she says what's on her mind. And her reaction and their conversation after that is so deeply rooted in years of family history and so rooted in truth of what a family dynamic really looks like and how they don't they can't empathize with what she's going through but they are there for her and they know her and they are relying on all of those years of love and history to 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 I don't know lean on that trust and be there for her while at the same time answering her concerns in some degree it's just so nice. That conversation is so nice. That's why I had to pick it for my comic of the week because their dynamic really, really is feels so true. And it it's not the two-dimensional parent characters that one always sees, the ones that the protagonist is supposed to overcome or work around or sort of make understand. These people do understand. They raised her. They adopted her when she was a little thing and they watched her grow and they... they you know, gave her what she needed and they loved her and they encouraged her and they were there for her and they kissed her boo-boos and they changed her diapers and they did all of these magical things to watch her grow from a baby to a teenager that she now is. And they love her and all of that came through in the way this was written and it touched me and I didn't expect it and that's why it has to be my comic of the week. So what did you pick? I picked the same one. Did you really? Yes. Oh. I like it for all the same reasons. Um, oh. I also like the little, you know, the little hints that we get of what, what's actually going on about how we saw like this one, this one flash of this fantasy world or whatever that she sees when she goes to sleep now. Yeah, where it looked that's like cool. The same guy that works in the mechanic shop, but he was dressed as 
a like, warrior like kind this of like... warrior kind of guy um and it, he was he had this little vessel that contained a baby and he was fighting Protecting. off fighting off all mm-hmm. these creatures or whatever and there was another woman that looked kind of like naomi in this war battle sort of armor. warrior queen battle armor she was facing down a dragon so i don't know if this guy's going to turn out to be her biological father or if he was just sort of like a guardian a, a guardian or knight or attendant or whatever to this warrior queen person I'm assuming there's royalty involved because it seems like the way these stories always yeah. go is that she's a princess or something. Um, and uh, and so he was sort of protecting her kind of like this, you know, like multiversal Hagrid or something that was like spirited <laughs> her way and protected her and watched over her mm-hmm. n- nearby as she grew until she was ready to learn the truth about her parentage kind of thing. Right. But there's some personal history there as well because there's... A picture that Naomi discovers of a woman that might be her mom, maybe. Right, but and we it was the same know. woman, so that's why. I'd like, and they is, were sitting is, together. Is he her biological? Treat, yeah. Like, did they come here together, or did they it looked like it was taken on Earth because they, they were wearing apart. Earth clothes, right? Yeah, that. Looked... So did, they, did she make it here? But then she died when Naomi was young, or something. It must have been enough time for them to at least have a bit of a life here and mm-hmm. have that photo taken. So where is she now? Did she have to go back to? You know, to defend something to, to pre- or... prevent those forces from coming through for her daughter or something like that and made him promise to stay and watch over her. And that's right. why it's so painful for him is because she couldn't stay with him or something. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it also for all the same reasons that you said. Oh, good. So yeah. should we move on to your pub quiz? I'm ready. So because last week's um, ranking of couples was so successful, <laughs> I thought that we would keep the, the trend going, although it's no longer really close to Valentine's Day. Um, and we would rank our favorite uh, DC TV couples. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I'm going to give you one from uh, from each show. Okay. And then we Just can, one. Okay. Then we can rank them. Okay? Okay. So we've got Oliver and Felicity, Bar- okay. Barry and Iris, Kara and Monel, which I pick because it feels like sort of yeah. the most iconic pairing that show has had so far, um, Jefferson and Lynn, Sarah and Ava, and Jim Gordon and Lee Tompkins. Nice. Good choices. You know who my favorite is? Who's that? Jefferson and Lynn. Hmm. Hands down, my favorite is Jefferson and Lynn. Really? I, I love the way they're written. Like, they stand out to me for all of the other reasons. I know that we saw, with a close second, is Oliver and Felicity, because I love them as individuals, but I love them together, and I like their journey that brought them together. But I hate the coin of will-they-won't-they they sort of pull-apart drama that sort of feels a little bit contrived. Whereas with Jefferson and Lynn, they were taken apart for real reasons, and it feels true. And I love the history that they share, and I love the cuteness that they have now that they're back together, and the so- the solid foundation on which their love and trust is built, and even the reservations that they had to overcome to be back together and to really decide, all right, you know what, this is really worth it. Our feelings for each other are valid and strong and worth fighting for. And so even though life is going to throw us some curveballs, I'm here for it. And that's why I have to pick them for my number one. But Oliver and Felicity are my number two. I love Barry and Iris, so they're my number three. Um, um, and then... Who did you pick for... Wait, what, what's Well, this? I haven't picked anything yet. Oh, Kara and Monel. Because I'm really sad that they are not together anymore. <laughs> Spoilers. And then Jim and Lee Tompkins. I mean, that was a disaster. <laughs> I I liked... I don't know. I just think that entire show is crazy, so I can't really 
pick them as a couple that I would actually actively ship right now. I don't think that they belong together even. So they're not they're not a favorite of mine at all. So they're on the bottom of the list for me. What about Sarah and Ava? Oh, Sarah and Ava. Oh man. Oh, that's such a fun couple. Um, you know what? They come right after Oliver and Felicity. Hmm. So they're okay. number three. Interesting. And everybody else bumps down. So I, I really like Jefferson and Lynn, but I feel like we've really only, with a lot of these other ones, we've seen, with the possible exception of, well, I guess I guess really just Oliver, Felicity, and Barry and Iris, we've seen the relationship sort of from beginning. Yes. So we've seen it grow, whereas yeah. Jefferson and Lynn, we've just seen it in like this one state where they're... They're they're back together and they're happy together and they're but there's tension in the relationship because of what their kids are going through. That's like the only gear we've seen the relationship in so far. It's only been a season and a half. Well, that's not true. We've seen different shades of it, but that's no. the only stage. At their the relationship. very beginning of the show, they were not together. Yeah, but within in pretty short order, it was obvious that they were going to get back together. Like they they still loved each other. They they broke up because you know he was black lightning or whatever. But they're going to get back together. But there's going to be tension because of the superpowers in their relationship. That's really like there's been different circumstances and different shades to their mm-hmm. relationship. But that's yeah. really like the only gear it's been in. Whereas with some of the other couples, we've seen them like we've seen them meet for the uh, not Barry and Iris, but I guess we saw that in flashbacks. But just take sure. like Oliver Felicity, we saw them meet for the first time. Uh, we saw them sort of learn to trust each other and become friends, and then it was years before they even got together romantically, and then years more before they got married. And now yeah. they're like raising a kid together, and we've we've seen the whole arc. kind of arc of their relationship. Um, and I feel like the they've been pretty good at not being too melodrama y about it. Like they really only broke up the one time mm-hmm. and then got back together. And there have been times when they've been mad at each other, and and you know where there was tension in the relationship, but they were usually resolved. Fairly Within quickly and without a yeah. lot of melodrama. Um, so, yeah. And so I think that I just, just, we've seen more from some of those other couples. So I think that maybe it'd be easy for me to start at the bottom. So I, I think that, I mean, it's hard to really say with Sarah and Ava because it's a sort of a newer relationship and it's still sort of in the, the fun, flirty H- initial phase. So, I mean, yeah, we've seen, fun. we've seen elements of depth to it too, particularly like what it, what it means to each of them to have found like this rock mm-hmm. that they can kind of depend on but i mean um, it, it is it's evolving too because like sarah is most recently they were talking about moving in together and taking it to the next level yeah. and that's interesting always i think but, i would have to put J- jim and lee at the bottom not because yeah. i think that it's been poorly acted or whatever and it's like no it's, it's, i don't I, think the and it's ironic been. that it's they're the actual they're the only couple that's actually together in real life that you, you just i don't know like you don't feel a lot of i don't know like i don't feel a lot of chemistry between them on screen either I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like the way they... I think it's just the writing. It's well, very strange. I, I think it's just... I think it's a lot of factors. Like the, the way that Ben McKenzie plays Gordon is very like stone-faced a lot of the time. Yeah. And so I, it's it's hard to really get like a lot of... Warmth. Warmth coming from him a lot of, a lot of times. And so like... And I think it's an intentional way he plays it. And it's, he's playing it as like this... Stoic, strong Stoic man. guy. Yeah. And so you Troubled sort of, and so you don't really you don't really get a lot of like what is he getting out of this relationship? But like you don't really feel a lot of tenderness from him. And so, you know, even though I'm sure that, you know, he's a great tour in real life, I, I don't really feel like a lot of that here. And so I'm not, I never never really got a lot of that. Plus there's been all sorts of weird story stuff with them with game back together, breaking up, and like she becomes evil, they have a baby that, you know, and then he becomes evil for a moment, and then they both get dragged out of it, and then she's like recovering, and then she disappears. Yeah, there's been for a lot a of melodrama in that one. So and I then think... she hooks up with what's his name, Nigma. Right. Well, Which kind was of. Odd. She was kind of leading him on. Yeah, yeah. She so was I think that one has to be on the bottom. Then probably Sarah and Ava, just because it's it's kind of new, and I don't really have a have a lot to to base it on yet. Um, then probably I don't know, Kara and Monel maybe 
and third yeah. from the bottom. I really, I, I think that of of all the, I don't know. I, I really liked, I, I really liked Chris Wood from the beginning. I yeah. thought that, I thought that he had a real presence on screen. He, he had a real warmth and mm-hmm. humor to him, and I thought that he was a, it was a great addition to the show. Um, and it, and soon, and I, I liked that that he was like sort of vapid at first but he sort of grew because he he wanted to be the man that kind the kind of man she would fall in yeah. love with and whereas with most of the other couples here they were both like really good really good strong people i guess maybe mm-hmm. you get some of that with oliver and felicity but he didn't he didn't really become a better man to be with her he just sort of became a better man gradually because of all the different things that he'd been through over the course of the show. Right. But she was kind of smitten with him from the beginning, sort of. He didn't really have to grow to become a better man for her to fall in love with him. No, hang on. She was the one that was being crushed on by him. Like, he was in love with her since they were kids. She didn't really no, no, see no. him Oliver that Oliver and Felicity, way. not Barry and Iris. Sorry, I thought you were still on Barry and Iris. Okay, No, like Felicity was sort of... Yes, Because he was like this was handsome playboy yeah. who's secretly a superhero, and there was sort of a shock when we discovered that he had feelings for her too. But he didn't actually... He didn't... Like, he now, in the present, like, he, he, he tries to be a better man for his family, but he yes. never really... He's like, if I need to be worthy of her love so that she will be with me, I need to be a better man. Like, he just sort of lucked into that relationship. Yeah. She was, you know, he just had to realize that he felt about her the way she had the, this whole time. Yeah. Um, whereas with Cara and well, Monel, I like that he really had to, he, whether whether she would have fallen for him one way or the other, like, saw that he was really a good person deep down inside, he had to sort of learn how to be a good man mm-hmm. to be worthy of her, like, as a, as a partner. And I like that arc to the relationship. Plus, I just thought that they were really cute together. They had, like, this sort of cute, well, all Gig- of these giggly hominess to them when they're yeah. in their scenes together at yeah. home and so on, which obviously they really played up because they knew they were going to mm-hmm. break them up soon. So like, oh, we need to show that they're just like this perfect quirky couple at home. Um, and then, of course, the whole thing where he comes back later and it's been however many years it's been. And now mm-hmm. he's he's had this arranged marriage and so on. I was less of a fan of all of that stuff. Like I thought it was well done, but it, it really felt like we, we, we want the actor back, but we need to have a reason why they can't be yeah. together for a year. Um, but then that was that barely even counts because that wasn't really even part of their relationship. That yeah, was sort of like post exactly. the relationship because they never really got back together at that point. Yeah. Um. So that would be third from the bottom. Then I guess I would say, I know it's hard. I think I'd have to tie between Barry and Iris and Jefferson and Lynn, hmm. just because even though we've seen more shades, it's actually kind of a it's a pretty similar relationship. Act it seems to me actually, and just in the way that they're the sort of partners and hmm. and sort of um constantly supportive of each other you know yeah. or um and there's not a lot of drama in the relationship really like that you can tell that they're, they're always going to care about each other you know and they ha- they have this sort of like parental vibe to them too like with nora in the picture now yeah right? whereas <laughs> oliver and felicity has felt like a lot more tempestuous at times like even though they haven't really broken them up too many times they always it always feels like yeah we were talking about a bit of a whirlwind romance mm -hmm. that culminated in a marriage after nanda parbat though they we were like okay if they break up one more time like we that's it they should stay broken apart i I do think oliver felicity is probably my my top one Mm -hmm. um just because i feel like i i feel like it kind of like what we were saying with the deep space nine stuff last year it did of all these relationships like it probably happened well, definitely. Looking at these relationships, I mean, I don't know. I was going to say it happened the most organically. I guess maybe you could say maybe they didn't know they were going to get Sarah and Ava together when they introduced the Ava character. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Like, how early did they reveal that she was gay? Because that's probably when they decided that they would that that at least was a possibility. But Barry and Iris, you knew from episode one that even if they weren't going to get together, the writers were definitely considering that possibility because they're a classic couple from of the course. comics. Same with Jefferson and Lynn. They're not really a classic couple in the comics because. They didn't, you know, him having a family is a relatively recent addition to 
the comics Relatively, only in the last 15 years or so. Relatively, but it does predate the writing on the show. Yes, definitely. Um, and obviously, when they started the show, they had already they were already divorced, so right. there obviously was a lot of history, history. to their relationship. Yeah. Whereas with Oliver and Felicity, they, they they basically created a character whole cloth from the comics. They took a name of a minor Firestorm character who didn't really have anything to do with anything, and they gave it to this day player, basically, mm-hmm. and it ended up being... A big One deal. Of the so greatest, yeah. Because because that relation and there's a certain amount of fan wish fulfillment, I feel like, in their relationship, which makes it a little weird because the I think the fans really shipped. Uh, well, a lot yeah, of like it. I, yeah, sure. A lot of them is just sort of them giving into the will of the fans. Like you kind of felt initially the idea was to do a will they or won't they between Oliver and Laurel. Mm-hmm. And the fans didn't really respond well to that, but the fans really loved the Felicity character. I think particularly a lot of the female fans really <laughs> yeah. really liked her. And so they it always felt to me like a little contrived. I feel like they've justified it after the fact. Like we've seen enough of them together now that I buy Oliver's feelings for her. But the first time that he admitted that he had feelings for her too, I always felt like, really? It feels like you're just writing it this because this yeah. is what the fans want to see. Um, but I feel like since then, and it's been years since then, they've, they've justified it. So I think that would have to be number one just because it felt like we've seen the whole arc of the relationship and it it feels the most real to me. I guess the Jefferson and Lynn thing is sort of a second to that in terms of feeling the most real, but because we've seen just like a subsection of their relationship, I, I can't really rank it as highly, I think. So that would have to be my ranking. Okay. And there's other other relationships on these shows too that I really like, but I didn't want to pick one yeah, from each other. Like we could do Diggle and, uh, and Lila too. Yep. Um, I'm not sure where that would rank in there. That would probably be somewhere in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. But yeah. No, that was fun. I, um, yeah, you made me think about some of my rankings, but I stand by what I originally said because, hey, man, original gut feelings are, are worth a lot. So yep. why not? <laughs> so should we move on to our shows? Yes, I'm ready. So we only have a few shows this week. We have Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, Gotham, and Doom Patrol. Yep. So Star Wars Resistance, um, this one we just watched the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are only a couple episodes from the end of the season, so I really so it's pretty obvious the first order thing is ratcheting up. I mean, Poe said in the last episode, "Oh, I'm off to Jakku tomorrow," and it like so is this tomorrow? Well, then, like yeah. the events of the I mean, it was kind of unclear in the Force Awakens how much time was passing over the course of the movie. Could only have been a few days at most. Right. So at this point, is Poe being held aboard? the first order ship and finn is about to break him out or are we mm-hmm. at the point where finn is like running around jakku with ray or they met up met up with han yet certainly those events are happening now while this is happening right um it's really it's really frustrating for me to watch the tam character constantly make apologies for the first order of the yeah. i get what they're doing and it's I a know. kid show so they need to show kids look you know this is this is the super slip you can get into yeah. when you you know sacrifice freedom for for security and all this stuff but especially in a modern political landscape it's hard to watch someone basically make apologies for space nazis all the time you want to just let it was like okay let's let's let the rest of the characters go off and have adventures and she can stay here under martial law for the rest of her life and it'll and it'll yeah. serve her right you know yeah, like, exactly i really don't think that's what's going to happen they're, they're probably building to something where if it were a bit of an older skewing more complex show i would wonder if they're going to do a thing where she um not that she betrays the others but she does something that she thinks is for the greater good, not quite understanding the true nature of the situation. And it but ends up... we've already had that happen in one of the previous episodes. Like when they knocked out the stormtrooper and everything else, like she was trying to... She was helping her friends side with, you know, keep keep him under guard or whatever. But she was definitely hesitant about... Yeah, I just think if this were, if this were a, a, an older skewing show, she would do something that would cost... She would do something thinking that the First Order is, is decent... 
and the resistance or terrorists or whatever that would end up costing our guys, if not necessarily like someone dying or whatever, mm. but that would have a, a significant cost. And that would be how she would, that would be the tragedy of her character. But right. I don't, th- I think that they're building to more, to a more of a, a simplistic object lesson where she's going to learn the true nature of the first order and, and be. Wasn't there somebody on a show that you were listening to? I don't know if it was the Star Wars Explained guy or whoever, but, um, they they said that and and I share this frustration that they should just let Tam in on the ga- gambit because yeah but they're doing a thing like it, it I seems know, simplistic but it's and formulaic it's... to us but it's because it's a it's a younger skewing show like something like this is supposed to, and probably would do keep the kids like on the edge of their seats like oh she doesn't know and she's gonna like you know like I, it's the kind of thing that we feel like we've seen a million times and we don't like plots where characters but, just mean... don't speak to each other but. That's exactly what I don't appreciate, though, because kids are not dumb. So I don't think the kids like the drama generated by withholding truth. In fact, kids are more honest than we are. So why would you teach a child to keep that that friends keeping well, things I from each it, other is normal? I, I don't think they, they should I don't normalize think, I don't, that on the show. I think the show is going to reveal that it, the show is going to have a thing where it's a mistake. That's that's why I was saying. Like, yeah, but I, it's lasting too long is my point. Well, yeah, but I think it's going to reveal like she's she's going to do something or say something. I mean, probably in the very next episode yeah, because probably. they're all they're all now under, under arrest, arrest or whatever. Yeah. She's gonna she's gonna reveal like all the suspicious things she's seen happening around the station that mainly we, the audience know, perpetrated by Kaz and Yeager and so on, thinking that she's actually doing a good job and helping the police essentially, and instead it's gonna cause all sorts of problems for our guys. And and we the audience would be like, Oh, see that's that's why they should have told her, because then she would have known, you know, who the real good guys are and they'll end up causing problems, but then she'll realize the error of her ways mm-hmm. and learn an important lesson. It's we feel like it's a little formulaic and frustrating, but kids who maybe haven't seen these tropes a million times are going sort of are, whether whether it's whether it's drawing it out too long or not, I feel like they're not they're not trying to approve of keeping secrets. They're trying to show that you know we're going to see that it ends up causing more problems than than if they just told her what was going on. But from a real world perspective, the fact that she keeps you know giving thumbs up to the first order makes it pretty easy for, for us to understand why our guys why our guys aren't telling her that they're secretly working against the first order because who knows how she would react it's hard it's hard to look at a basically a nazi sympathizer and say well maybe the problem is they they really just don't know enough about who the the freedom fighters are you know because who's yep. to say she wouldn't turn them in it's you know it's it's very easy to be to have a to have a low opinion of people like that in a modern in the modern world yeah, and and say, well, maybe the problem is that we we need to take more time to understand the Nazi sympathizers yeah. and see their perspective. No, <laughs> they can go over there and be friends with the Nazis, and we'll go over here and fight for freedom. You know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Star Trek Discovery. This one was called The Sound of Thunder. This was the big return to Kaminar Saru episode. Love it. Love um, it. Love it. Love it so much. Love it so much. Okay. So I, I do I do agree with what I've seen said about this one, which is that it does seem like, and this is Starfleet, and this is Star Trek, and this is certainly something they do a lot. Yes, they do. Um, this, like, should we really completely upend this alien civilization and, and change the course of yeah. millions, if not billions, of lives? Well, <laughs> we, well sure, let's they, go. they have, like, a five-second discussion about it, and then it's like, well, if we just press this button and play this one signal over the whole yeah, planet, yeah. You know, it's like, how do you know you've, you've been studying Saru for, like, a minute a, for like a few days yeah. how do you know how do you know that he's still capable of having children how do you like how do you know that post quote unquote evolution although i really shouldn't be using that term here post metamorphosis or yeah. post whatever it's valhari yeah val, 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 val i think is what it is 
I think you're you're like conflating oh, Valhalla. Valhalla. With, with yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, how do you know that post-evolution uh, Kelpian females are even still fertile or something like that? Like, yeah, how yeah. do you know you're, you haven't just doomed the species to what die happens, off in 50 years? What happens to babies in utero? Well, yeah, like who, there's just so many, so, ma- so many questions. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. And then and so they just, you know, they hit the button and it all happens. But this is something that... Star, Star Trek, Trek, Star does. Trek does a lot. It's it's more emblematic of, of like Kirk era Star Trek, I would feel yeah. like for the whole thing where Kirk, you know, Captain Kirk thinks your civilization is stupid and, you know, like he'll come in and he'll talk your computer to death and completely <laughs> upend your civilization and destroy yeah. your artifice of God and just be like, this is freedom. You'll love it kind of thing and fly off. Whereas Picard was, I don't know, like, I feel like Picard was, was definitely more measured where you got the, and, and he was on the other side of the he spectrum. He was willing to, he was willing to die before, I just remember who watches, who the watches first. the watchers, right? With that proto-Romulan sure. society viewed him as God, right? And he completely oh, contaminated. Yeah. He was willing to die rather to, to prove to them that they weren't, that yep. he wasn't a God. That's you know? right. He was willing to take that arrow in the chest from Ray Weiss there. Yep. Um, to prove, to, to, to prove you know, to, to undo as much of the contamination as he could. And he was willing to let that little girl that Data was communicating with die and her whole species yep. until until she was specifically asking them for help, which somehow made a difference, which didn't it really make, make a, a lot of sense. But apparently under, that's how the rules that's work. Asylum. It's she wasn't asking, asking to stay on the ship, though. She, she was, was like, asking for safety she, when she from was, an imminent threat. But when she, was, calling, when she was calling out to space, generally saying, somebody out there help me, he was no, willing to she, let them all die. But as yeah. soon as she said, Data, please come help me, yeah. suddenly that was enough. Then made it okay to help. So I never really understood that, but that's all right. But uh, so apparently the, the the rules about the prime directive are very flexible because they can come in and completely destroy Kelpian and Baul society or whatever. And I did think it was a little on the. So I like the whole reversal where we discovered that the Kelpians evolved Kelpians were actually the predator species before, and the Baul were the prey species, and they were hunted to near extinction until they suddenly developed massive technological prowess mm-hmm. i guess suddenly over the course of an evolutionary time scale it could have taken hundreds of years for all we know we just saw the numbers go by really fast and they turned the tables on the kelpians and have been keeping them down basically ever since and calling them so they can't become these evolved predators mm-hmm. again i did think it was a little it was a little much to show them as like monstrous slime monsters like mm-hmm. wouldn't it have been a more interesting reveal like i get that the kelpians are already sort of like long and thin and willowy and placid looking mm-hmm. but wouldn't it be interesting if the baul who they've presented as like this horrible predator species it revealed that they were actually like even more innocuous looking than the kelpians yeah that would really fit into the whole like it would like they are they are physically helpless what if they almost look like children like little embryos mm-hmm. you know like that guy, like little Clint Howard in yes, that TOS I was episode, just thinking the same where they guy, they, yeah. they create all this technological. Ready threats and weaponry around them because they're so physically vulnerable right whereas i mean i guess maybe they were physically vulnerable we don't know what kind of strength or dex or endurance they have but they look like creepy slime they look monsters. like horror yeah picture that things, felt like it yeah. was a little did you really need them to look like creepy slime monsters I, I guess it feeds into the the shock reveal that they were actually the prey but i feel like evolutionarily like wouldn't it have made more sense if they were more docile and helpless yep. and then you know i agree um so uh, thematically, I felt a little confused, but I do think it was still a really strong episode. I, and I obviously Doug Jones did a great job. It was it was almost uncomfortable to watch him like oh, stepping yeah. off to, to Pike Be there. Super and Pike was being Pike. almost supernaturally calm Patient. and understanding with yeah. him. Like any other captain would have shut. Like the second he started talking back to him on the bridge or speaking out of turn with Picard an open channel with an open channel to the Baul and actively 
instigating. Raising the stakes of the situation yeah. instead of lowering them. Picard would have been like, Mr. Saru, get off my bridge. Yep. We'll talk later, basically. And Cisco would have done the same. Janeway yep. would have done the yep. same. Um, nobody else really spoke up on Kirk's bridge because <laughs> nobody else really got too much screen time aside from, uh, the main from three, Spock yeah. and McCoy wasn't a bridge officer. Um, so it's hard to say what would happen there. But yeah, I, I almost felt like he was being... Un- like I get that they want to portray him as like the kinder, gentler captain in contrast to Lorca, but that almost felt unrealistically right. understanding of him. Like it's okay to, to have him be stern occasionally. You right. know, like it, we're going to, we get that he's a good guy. We've seen him for six episodes now. We already like him. You don't need to have him be a complete pushover, sure. you know? Yeah. So I felt like that was, that rang a little false too. Um, but overall, I really liked it. I thought that it, you know, they were beautifully shot and I thought the performances were really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I hope they're not doing a thing. I hope they're not building to a thing where they're, that like, now that he doesn't feel any fear, like, he's, yeah. and now that he's evolved into, like, his predator state, he's going to become, like, this violent jerk. I hope not. Doug, Doug Jones feels like it's a, I started seeing interviews with him and he's like, how, how, how empowering is it that this guy who lived his whole life in fear and fear is now unencumbered by fear. He feels like that's like a really powerful message. Like you can overcome your fear and become mm-hmm. powerful and so on. And I get that. I'm just not sure that's what they're writing. Like it feels to me like they're writing like, oh, can we really trust him now? Sort of, especially in this episode. Maybe this will be the beginning yeah, and the end of it. Exactly. And he'll be different from now on, but still trustworthy. But it really felt like he was Doug, Doug Jones, which is ironic because he presumably knows what's going to happen through the whole season. Although who knows when the interview was shot. Felt like, oh, this is a really empowering moment for him. And I was kind of like, I don't know. When they revealed last episode, all your fear is gone. I'm like, this really seems like it could go badly, you know, and it almost did go badly in this episode. Right. So. Those first two episodes, I think he's just getting used to it because now he has different feelings inside him. And anybody who's suffered their entire lives with anxiety and then finally gets some medication that actually works and does something, I'm sure they go through an adjustment period as well. And so I think that... I think they're going to address that adjustment period. I know there are going to be more conversations between people in his life and him that have longstanding understandings of of how he used to be and then sort of trying to readjust. It's just, he's it's, going to have an adjustment It's going to be a tricky balance it. to strike because you, you really, because everybody likes Saru and you want right. him to be like the kind big brother to burn and him. so far, even though... But it feels like if, if they go back to that too quickly, it would be really giving short shrift to this change that he's undergoing. Yeah. But if you really play up this change, like, realistically, he should be like a Klingon now, basically. Like, he should be, like, not just because of the no, the no fear thing. It's not like Klingons don't have fear, but they, like... They like to pretend that they don't, but the whole like the the, pre, the whole predator angle, like right. the, like Klingons are like you know they will attack the the weaker, they will attack the weak and conquer and all this other stuff, right? Um, it almost feels like he should be behaving kind of like Worf now, but he, I don't think anybody wants to see that. You know, they they don't want him to be too different than the Saru we've come to like. Right. So they're really going to have to strike a pretty delicate balancing act there. Um, so based on the preview, it looks like we're finally going to get to see Spock next episode. Mm-hmm. So he was in the preview. Um, so that's coming soon. I'm very excited. About time. <laughs> so so Gotham this week. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the so a lot of big. There's a lot to say about Gotham. Jeremiah stuff in this episode. So he gets you know he falls into the chemicals at the end. Presumably, even though he's quote unquote brain dead. Do you think yeah. he maybe like swapped his bodies. bodies or something? Because I mean, brain dead is brain dead. It's it, but I mean this show who you know doesn't really adhere to a lot of medical no. rigor. Like I and think plus with the existence, it's almost of certainly not Dr. the end of his character. But he's also like Strange his skin was there. all bubbly and scarred too. Yeah. Like he's not even going to look like the Joker after this. Nope. It was, seems like that doesn't just heal fully. Nope. So I think there's going to be some sort of 
weird healing subversion. thing or either a healing thing or somebody else is going to take on the mantle they give of the him Joker the thing that they gave to, yeah but after investing so much and they've I already know, pulled they that a lot. so many times like yeah. oh this guy's actually the real joker they've done that not at least this guy but not this guy but wait this guy i, th- I really yeah. do think it's got to be him but i don't know how they're gonna write themselves out of this Quarter. thing unless they give them one of those little fruit things that they gave selena to heal her back oh like, yeah and that heals him or something i don't know um we'll see I did think that it was a little, I mean, he said as much that he was like, oh, like this opportunity just landed in my lap. So I guess I'll hypnotize Lee and Jim Gordon and have yeah. them pretend to be your parents. Like, I, I get that this opportunity just dropped in his lap and he's making the best of it for the drama of the situation. But he's like, oh, you're surrogate father. I'm like, is Jim Bruce's surrogate father? I mean, you had Alfred right there. I Alfred know. is Bruce's surrogate yeah. father. Jim is kind of like sort of a big brother to him, maybe, although they like haven't really a had little? a little early on. Like, and I, I wish they'd written to that more because there, I felt like there were two years or so there where they were barely in any scenes together. Yeah. Now they're in a lot more together because they're like, he's an adult now and they're sort of fighting side by yeah, side. Yeah. But for a while there, their plot threads didn't really even intersect. The yeah. Bruce stuff was always way out on its own, Yeah, you know? Um, and Lee has had like in the comics, sure, like she was sort of a surrogate mother to him. Like they've even written it in, like she was there yeah. the night that his parents were killed, and it was her comforting him with the blanket yep. and so on. Mm-hmm. And, but they had, they've had like two scenes together. Yeah. And so like yeah, they so what is she even doing there? Like she yeah, they barely know. So each other's I, names. I so that that doesn't feel like it really. That's not really worked out well, and but I'm I'm not sure it was really supposed to like. He's like, Jeremiah's like, oh, you know, I just had these two that came to find my secret lab. So yeah. I hypnotized them and strung them up here to to really increase the stakes of the situation. And of course, Jim, uh, uh, Bruce cares about Jim and, and wants him to be okay. And he would save Leslie even if he didn't know her just because, you know, that's the right thing to do. So it, it, it effectively raises the stakes for Bruce. Yep. But I'm not sure that seeing them die would really have been that much worse for him than seeing two random people, two actors, or two random people who had been surgically altered to look like his parents die. Yep. I'm not sure it would have been that much worse for him, so I'm not quite sure Jeremiah's plan really held together that that well there. Um, but it was cool. It was interesting to see the manor get blown up, so I guess they're doing like a whole Batman Begins thing where he's got to sort of start from nothing and... Build it you know, up like again. He, he, like sort of live out of the cave and do whatever. Um and what else was in this one? Um, pregnant Barbara. That was awesome. Yeah. I loved all the Pregnant Barbara scenes. I liked her her scene with Lee Tompkins where she's recruiting her to uh, be her doctor. And she's like, you're the best person in this hellhole. So, I'm not pulling any punches. What so, do you need? How can I buy your services? So who's... So I also enjoyed her um, scene with the Riddler and Penguin. Because he goes, you're glowing. You're pregnant. Yeah, that felt that was, a little but that was tropey to me. Like of he, course. He can instantly tell she's pregnant yeah, and instantly I don't know how. being pregnant completely changes how how vicious she is. Mm, like nope. that felt a little feels a little stirred. Like, oh now that she's pregnant, she's softening and she's her, her hormones are you know what I mean? That felt a little It like, definitely felt that way. But um but at the same time you can justify it with the fact that you know, she she said she wants off of this rock, and if that means staying Penguin's execution for like another minute, then yeah. that's what she's gonna do. So I felt like, yes, that's how it started, but she just the the writers justified it with that. So is this gonna be, is this gonna be little Barbara Gordon, or is this gonna be James wondering. Gordon Jr.? That's what I'm wondering. Because I was about to ask you the same question. Because it would be super weird for her to name the baby after herself, and it would be super weird for for Jim to name the baby after her, right? Regardless, because say, say like she gives birth, I'm assuming there's going to be some sort of flash forward 
at the end of the show. Otherwise, we're never going to yeah, see the baby, that's right? Because there's yeah. only like five episodes left. So there's going to need to be some flash forward where we see Batman. It's like five years later, and Batman's there, and Jim's got his mustache, and he's raising a little kid or whatever, right? Right. Um, and I'm just assuming like Barbara dies or something. Like I, I would bet she's no longer still in the picture. Um, and so him, he's raising the kid by himself, mm-hmm. which is normally, which is how it usually ends up eventually. Anyway, the amount of time in which the kid's mother. Or mothers is in the picture. Yeah, is varies depending on the continuity, but certainly by the time you get to like classic Batman stuff, he's not still you know married, or the mother is no longer in the picture, and he's raising either one, either one or both kids by himself. So I'm assuming she's going to be off or dead or something somewhere. So either she names the baby or he names the baby, but I can't really see either of them naming the baby Barbara if it's a girl, right? If it's a boy, I could see her naming him James Junior. Seems like the kind of thing she would do, right? Right. Um. I can't really see him naming, I, I don't know, like it's always weird, it's weird that they, they backed into, they got into it by a variety of weird circumstances in the comics, they didn't intend for this to happen, where they have two kids and they're named after themselves, you've got James Jr. and Barbara, Barbara. who's not named Barbara Jr., but is the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of reasons why the situation ended up that way in the comics, it wasn't the original intent, Um but I feel like it would be weird on the show. Yeah. I, I think that though it's probably going to have to be Barbara just because that's the more recognizable. Like if, if the, if the audience who's you know, watching this and they aren't diehard Batman fans get to the end, and there's a flash forward and there's like, Oh, little Barbara Gordon with red hair. It's like, Oh, but you know, yeah, that's Batgirl. Batgirl. Like people are going to yeah. get, the, whereas if it's like James Jr. And it's this weird kid with glasses who's secretly like, like frying ants with a, with yeah, a yeah, magnifying, magnifying glass. glass in the backyard. People aren't like, we would be like, Oh, that's cool. And because he's supposed to be the older one or whatever. And it's like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to get that. We're still going to be looking for Barbara though. That's the thing. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's always been weird. Like, cause, cause when then when Lee got pregnant, it's like, oh, is this going to be one of the kids? Yeah, but yeah. The, she's not supposed to be the mother. And you know, this really feels like, oh, the show is ending. Everybody knows that this Barbara woman is supposed to be the mother of at least one of his kids in the comics. So we've got to get her pregnant, right? So they sort of had that weird scene where all of us, for more for one night, he decided to sleep with her, and that's that obviously just inserted there, yeah. so to speak, <laughs> so that so that we could have, so that now they could mm-hmm. have a Gordon kid by the end of the show. Um, yeah. I just wonder which one it's going to be. Um, I bet you it's going to be Barbara. I think it's probably going to have to be. And I think that, and I think that this, this means there's going to be, have to have to be some sort of flash forward at the end because I, because otherwise you're never going to get to see the kid mm-hmm. yeah. and the show isn't just going to end with like you, you only put a pregnancy like that in, in the show. If you're going to have like the woman die tragically while still pregnant which I don't think they're going to do. This doesn't seem like the thing you no. would do at this point in the show. Or you're going to see the baby be born and learn what its name is and their importance or whatever. But you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. The show isn't going to last another eight months. The show is going to be over in a couple of months. And I think they're they're probably going to do like... An epilogue, yeah. Yeah, I they're going to do something where they'll flash forward five years and we'll see Batman in the Batman suit and he's fighting one of his classic villains or something who looks like his classic villain now instead of a younger version mm-hmm. of a classic villain. And we're going to see... Might even get a picture of uh, Flying Dick Grayson. We're, we're going to see, yeah, something like that. They'll be like... Yeah, and we'll see Gordon up on the up on the rooftop, and he turns on the signal. Except now it's the bat signal, and he's got the mustache or something, mm-hmm. and like his his little kid is there, and I don't know. They'll do something like that, I'm sure. Um, so Doom Patrol. Yes. This was this one was called Donkey Patrol. Uh, this this was a fun one. I think I like this one even more than the pilot. I agree. I felt like they did a really good job. Um, faster than I would have expected, really deepening the characters. I like that they showed a lot of Cliff's tender side here, trying to look after Jane. And they didn't really shy away from how hard it would be to try to be friends with someone like Jane, you know, as explosive and temperamental and unpredictable as she can be. Mm 
Um, I thought that they did a good job with Larry, especially that scene at the end where he goes, he has to go through like a little decontamination chamber Mm -hmm. so that he can get to his room where he can remove. Because in the comics, those bandages are specially treated to contain, because he's basically radioactive. Those bandages are specially treated to like keep it for safe to be other people to be around him. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Wow, okay. So he goes in there and he can unwrap and and he, and the idea that he's like, because in the comics, oftentimes they have like, he and the, the negative creature can like communicate telepathically uh-huh. or whatever, kind of like the damage comics we're reading now where whichever one is in control, the other one's thoughts like appear in their head as word bubbles or whatever. Um, whereas here it's cool. It's, he's like, if he wants to communicate with this creature, he has to like leave a note on the mirror and every every night he goes to bed and the negative creature gets to come out and like walk around this sad mm-hmm. little room for eight hours or whatever. Um but that it has a mind of its own. It can come out wherever it wants. It doesn't want him to leave. So yeah. every time he was about to get on a bus, it would show up and <laughs> fly hilarious. around for like 10 minutes so he would miss his bus. Um, you know what it kind of reminded me of? The way he had to like leave that little post-it note on his mirror was there was a, uh, a Marvel comic and I guess it was the 90s called Sleepwalker. There was just like this weird niche sort of horror slash superhero comic that for some reason I was like totally obsessed with for like the year that it ran. It was like my new favorite comic. And it was this guy, like this 20 something nobody who for some reason became host to like this, um, alien, an alien, they're from like a dream dimension or something, kind of like the dreaming, but it was like this alien superhero. It wasn't an alien, like this other dimensional superhero type. Anyway, whenever he went to sleep, this, this huge sort of green skinned costumed, um, figure would emerge from his mind and become real in the real world and go out and like fight crime or whatever. Um, and then when he woke up, he, the sleepwalker would disappear. And so this guy, was his name? Rick Sheridan? I want to say that was his name. Had no idea this was happening at first. Mm-hmm. And then gradually over the course of the series, he began to realize that this creature was connected with him because it's like, oh, it it's always appears like near where I am and only when I'm asleep. And he sort of gradually began to put the pieces together. So... I mean, the, you're ringing a bell with the Batman series that we were reading where um, it was a reimagining where it was like a real life person. I think it was set in Boston. It's kind of like that. Like it's kind of like the Batman Wayne, creature right? of the night, but it's not just when yeah. he was in there. It's not just when he was asleep. The rules are a bit more I understand. You know, it's just that it was there. still connected but to But then him. it was cool because then later when he discovered that the sleepwalker was connected to him, they developed this whole thing where like he would leave him a message on his answering machine mm-hmm. when he went to sleep. So when sleepwalker woke up, he would know like what he had to do to... to solve whatever the problem was uh-huh. or whatever like that. And then they had the whole thing where we discovered there was just one of a whole race of these creatures that lived. And anyway, I just thought, I, I, was, cool. I always thought it was interesting that this guy is kind of like, there's all sorts of superheroes where it's like they had, the, there's the regular, like the Billy Bats and Captain Marvel sure. thing where they're not really the same guy. Like the superhero kind of takes the place. Like of, even on Flash, you got Caitlin, Fro- Caitlin Snow and uh, Killer Frost. Yeah. I, I always like the idea of whether the hero, the hero is, is, Kind of like, I mean, again, it's kind of like damage or, or even going back to like the Incredible Hulk or something where the, the guy that you know, the, the the main guy is not really in the driver's seat when the quote unquote hero comes out. But yeah. the idea that the main guy didn't even really know what was happening to him and the, and the, the I keep calling him the alien, but the sleepwalker is like, doesn't really care about this guy. He's just like yeah. waiting for him to go to sleep so he can go out and do stuff. So it kind of reminds me of that, like the way that, that Larry had to leave a message for the negative creature so that when he came out, he would see it. Um, and you can tell like what they're setting up is, I guess, kind of like an arc where by the end of the season, they'll have developed more of a, kind of like like you said, like a Caitlin Killer Frost yeah. thing where they come to an understanding and sort of appreciate Agreed. each other. And, Even and there's a lot more that, baggage I mean, here because this guy made him a horrible, scarred freak and made him shut himself away for 50 for years, years, right? 
<laughs> sure, but I mean, but that's he didn't the ask for right? this to happen either. But that was their beginning. That was Killer Frost and Caitlyn's beginning as well. Like they first started leaving each other. First, they had a contentious relationship. Then they had yeah, an but Killer Frost didn't ruin Caitlyn's by... life for fifty years either. She just made it I mildly understand. inconvenient. So less baggage. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's and then they started communicating by sticky notes and forging a friendship. And then they now they can communicate telepathically. So I think that's exactly where they're taking. Um, Larry Trainer and whatever this entity mm-hmm. is. What do they call it? Well, I just call negative it like Megan, the, well, right? the negative name. Negative man is his superhero name, but that kind of applies to both of them, whichever one is, you know, because Larry's sure. the guy that wears the costume. It's just that he can't, when the negative man comes out, Larry just flops, flops to the ground. To and traditionally, seat. he only has, is it 60 seconds or five minutes? I think it's 60 seconds. The negative creature can only be out of Larry's body for 60 seconds at a time or oh. else they both die. Whoa. So there's constantly a ticking clock. And so mm-hmm. the, the drama would be like, oh, the negative creature comes out to fight the villain, but the villain finds a way of like holding, of like him. holding him. And yeah. it's like, oh no, he's got to get back into Larry's body within 50 seconds or that you know what i mean yeah, that, yeah. that would be the drama i'm not sure if they'll keep that rule here or not but even with rita doesn't seem like it is right because he goes to yeah, sleep and then he's just out and it seems like they the just were like kind of like the whole thing that was there was a thing for a while where aquaman had to be exposed to water oh. every hour or else he would like instantly die and there were so many comics that dealt with like oh aquaman's in a desert now i, I have mm-hmm. 52 minutes and it's like exactly by the minute yeah. like 60 minutes just not a second more and he you. instantly drops dead but the the idea that it was that predictable yeah, yeah. 60 seconds and z- 60 minutes and zero seconds aquaman will die if he hasn't gotten water it's like i get that he, i'm sure that he more than you know a, a human would need water yeah. regularly. Mm-hmm. But the idea that it's exactly 60 minutes and then he just drops dead was really like the contrived. whole contrived silver agey kind of weakness to give the character. Yeah. Um, TikTok. And they're even addressing the thing that we, that was a little bit of my complaint last week where I felt like they, they didn't really give Rita as much of a tragic flaw as they did the other characters, aside from just being like racist in the way that most people at the time were. Yeah. Now it seems like she had like a secret child or something like yeah. that. Who would be like 80 now if she's if he or she is even still alive, right? right? But if she had like a a, a secret love child that she ignored and didn't support and mm-hmm. didn't acknowledge or mm-hmm. something, that would be an interesting Twist. layer to add to the character yeah. that would give them an element of tragedy like the others had, an element mm-hmm. of irresponsibility but or see, secret maybe shame. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe maybe her secret shame is that she accidentally let it die. Because that's what I was thinking. That could be another angle too. Like well, she actually yeah, still, wanted some, to some, keep the baby. Something but like she, that. Some, some, her, some form of her ineptitude like caused an accident where the baby is no longer alive. Because the way she looked at it with pain, um, I don't know. I just got the Either instinct way. that they're not going to do the classic trope of, oh, this is an ignored secret shame child. Like she maybe I don't know. Or it could be she, any number of Or even things, if she really. loved the child, but mm-hmm. when she had her accident was too ashamed to be part of the world and so abandoned the child to go live in the, to go live with Calder for 80 years. Right. Yeah. You know, even if that was just it, like she was too ashamed, like she, she, her vanity was more important to her than raising her, her child, you know? Yeah. Um, that would be an interesting flaw, you know, because the the whole thing they're doing with her is vanity, right? Like that's the sure. that's the that's her that's her tragic flaw. It just didn't seem quite so tragic until now. But if if something like that kept her from giving yeah. a, giving a good life to her child, then that's of a piece with you know having an affair and you know getting your family killed or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed it, and the the sequences the the Mister Nobody puts everybody through. Um, mm-hmm. We're very harrowing. I mean, we've got then. There's the whole cyborg thing. What did you think of Driving uh, Wade as uh, I a cyborg? Him. I think he it's, was great. It's, it took a bit of getting used to because he's younger. Mm. He's not as sort of like 
like statuesque looking. He's got more of like a different. It's kind of like how we talked about oh, like Tyler Hecklin as Superman. He doesn't look like the classic Superman to me, and so sometimes it it takes me a second. Uh-huh. He doesn't have like like Ray Fisher looks like the sure. the Olympic level athlete. You know, yeah. the, the, this Football guy is kind of like a little type. mousier yeah. looking. You know, so I'm like. It, it took me. It takes me a second, but this is very much like more so than like the the Justice League movie Cyborg. This is kind of closer to the comics, mm-hmm. where because we're we're used to now Cyborg being like a member of the Justice League because it's been that way since the beginning of the New Fifty Two. Like he was a, he was usually he was like a founding member of the Justice League in the New Fifty Two and in the movie, uh-huh. you know, and in the animated movies. And he's standing right there side by side with these other characters. Traditionally, of course, it didn't used to be this way. He was this misanthropic guy who kind of got roped into being a new Teen Titan. And that was where he spent most of his history was with the Teen Titans, right? So the idea that he's like this younger hero just just getting started on the streets of Detroit, hoping to one day hit be a big-time superhero, and instead he falls in with this group of lovable losers is really a lot closer to... You know, like he was a Titan, but he didn't really want to be a Titan and Beast Boy just annoyed him most of the time. And yet they still became like best friends later on. Like it's really closer to that, you know, like he's he's more of a superhero than the other characters on this show because the other characters don't even want to be a superhero. He wants to be, but he's not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, I really like the complexity of his character because he is now taking a look at his own motivations and realizing that. They're not his choice. They're his father's choice. And so he's got a lot of baggage to unravel in that. And I'm glad he walked away from Silas Stone over there and just to kind of be part of a group and do his own thing with his own motivations for just a little while until he figures out what it means to be cyborg. Yeah. Where it's, his father's programming ends and his an own identity begins. It's an interesting thing for Silas, too, good. because normally the, the whole thing is like Silas wouldn't give him the time of day yeah, because he was that a was foot, football star instead of a scientist like his dad. And then the accident happened, and now Silas realizes how much he was missing out yep. by not having Vic in his life, and he just wants to like have Vic around all the time mm-hmm. and like tune him up and just and be a be a be his best pal and so on, but Vic can't stand the guy, usually at least at first, right. because of... Because of all that previous baggage. The crappy father he was yeah. for like the first 18 years of his life. Um, but now it's, it's, but the idea that And he's, now both of them are also but, missing their mom. Yeah, but the idea of, of Silas like post-accident being like kind of a, a stage mom yeah. for him. Like he just like, son, look, look we've got this yeah. plan. You're going to fight crime at this level. Then you're going to fight crime at this level. Then I'm going to give you this upgrade. And then in five years, you're going to be in the Justice League. Yeah, that's like, very that's a different, specific. That's a, that's a different dynamic. dynamic. Normally, mm-hmm. like once the accident happens, he realizes the error of his ways and he really just wants to be there for his son. Right. But his son doesn't want it because of their history. You know? But then he also, there are, there are iterations where his father remains the scientist and he wants to keep him around more more like a study subject. Those are the ones yeah. I'm more familiar usually with. That's, usually the accident, though, is kind of where the relationship pivots and um, Silas realizes that he's got a lot to make up for. Yes. And Vic kind of has to get over his resentment to his father, both for, for being a terrible father for 20 years, for sometimes for for being responsible for their mother dying, although here right. it almost seems like Vic is responsible for his mother yeah, dying somehow. Yeah. Um, and then also he oftentimes will blame his father for not just letting him die, for turning him into this freak, right? Yeah. So there's like a lot of anger there that yeah. it takes them different, very, different flavors of, of baggage, time to work yeah. through. But usually Silas is a lot warmer and easier to get along with after the accident because the relationship kind of flips. And now mm-hmm. Victor is like the cold, distant, mechanical one, and Silas is the one that just wants to build a relationship, you know? So it's kind of interesting to see 
this this different, different take on, on here. It. And of course, mm-hmm. I'm always happy to still see Phil Morris get work because he's he's fantastic. He's so good. Um, I I hardly ever see him in live action. So you saw his face and you're like, whoa! You like literally emoted. He's been in a bunch of. St- he's been in Star Trek stuff too. He's been in several different. He he was so a, he was a Gem Hadar at least once. Oh, I think okay. I think he might have also been in. Klingon I mean, under all that twice. makeup, come on now. You can't yeah. expect me to recognize. Um, actors I very rarely see but I did recognize the name as soon as you said it from all the um, um, vo- animated voice work that he's done he's great so yeah I'm a fan too and I'm glad, I'm glad I get to see him in live action so that's good so yeah so I, I don't know where it's going to go from here me either but it's um, fun and um, Alan Tudyk 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 God, I, I need practice um, <laughs> continues to amaze and impress and I really like the writing on the show it's so off the wall it's so weird but I'm I'm super happy that this is the episode where they each reluctantly get pulled into superhero motivations you know so I thought that was interesting as well, well I the, don't know the I dynamic is it. now established where, sure. where Vic is there and he's going to be pulling them to like be more proactive yeah. plus they all they all want to find out where the chief is because yeah. they're still missing the chief and yep. they, now their one lead which was the donkey has exploded so yes. now they have no gross you know, which what did you think of that graphic because I thought it was pretty cool like the way the donkey was moving I mean I could tell it that exploded? it was CG yeah like it, it was an entirely a CG donkey, a CG donkey, donkey. Before, whereas before I think yeah. it was a real one. Oh, it was and definitely then, a real and that one shot it was CG I'm like oh there's a CG donkey but and why is it CG entirely? Animals oh, with fur, animals like with that, fur are very hard to do, especially in a TV budget. But I still so. liked it. And it was a very tacky explosion, but I just thought it fits so well. And I love that Ezekiel the cockroach got credit. Yeah, I'm like, is that a reference <laughs> to something? Like, are we supposed to... Like, I don't is know. That, is that like a famous comedian voicing him? I felt like... like what was the name? I didn't I remember read the, that I don't fast. remember the name of the okay. actor, but it almost felt like... Like, are they, they, <laughs> were doing so some sort, they were doing some sort they of thing. They were doing a bit, yeah. Obviously, if it was just some random talking cockroach, then that's funny. But the way he was given a special credit at the end led me to believe, like, well, is, mean, this like a, work, is this like a, fa- a famous guest star actor they could get for, like, five minutes? Or some is this, previous I don't know, I don't know what that whole thing was. or something, I don't know, some actor, I don't know. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a famous cockroach in Doom Patrol history that I can think of. I mean, the closest... DC Comics character I think of is I guess is Ambush Bug, but he's not actually a bug. No, he but was there like any ones. live action or maybe even animated Doom Patrol stuff that they want they maybe would have used an actor from? There was no live no. action Doom Patrol before. There's never this, been obviously. a live action Doom Patrol. There's um, just been various animated incarnations and never even in their own show. Just maybe like some... one Brave and the Bold episode or, you know, one um Sure. Trying to think what else they even appeared in. They had a few DC Nation shorts for a while which were animated, obviously, and then the one one Brave and the Bold appearance and a couple of appearances on the old Teen Titans cartoon. Is there anything that stands out to you as a comic book expert that's iconic uh, in previous to this representation of Doom Patrol? Something that really, like, everybody in the DC nation would know. Like from, from film or TV instead yeah, of just, just the anything, comics? Yeah. No. No? No, nothing like that. Well, then I'm out of ideas. I, don't I mean, it could have just been a, it could have been a comic thing, but I don't recall there being a, a talking cockroach in the comics either. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, but it was really Ezekiel good. Ezekiel is a very specific name, but he was touting some serious like this is the end of days propaganda. I told y'all, I told y'all, I'm ready. I'm ready for the rapture of the giant gaping hole. Take me. <laughs> so random. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm I'm done. <laughs> That's it for our shows. That was a great bit of shows, and that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so if you want to reach out to the show, uh, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And on Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. We like to keep things simple. How about a funny sound for us?
I don't have one. I've got one. <laughs> Farting donkey. Very good. 